Greetings, friends and colleagues. Welcome to the Thoughtful Teacher Podcast. I am Scott Lee. I hope you are safe and well. Today, we follow up on our December episode and continue discussing technology and teaching, this time with Joshua Snyderman, whom we originally met in 2020. Joshua is the co-author of Everyday Superheroes, Women in STEM Careers, which recently won the 2020 Best Indie Book Award in the Children's Middle Grades category. He also is the Vice President of Learning Blade, an online toolbox for exploring middle grade STEM and STEM-related careers. We will discuss the future of how technology issues could impact teaching, but we will start off discussing his book. Welcome back to the Thoughtful Teacher Podcast, Joshua Snyderman. Uh, congratulations on your book being awarded the Best Indie Book Award for the middle school category. Yes, thank you so much. Very excited to be back on your podcast and excited with all the progress you've made with the podcast and definitely excited that our books won an award. The book is Everyday, Everyday Superheroes. It's about women in STEM careers. And, you know, it's just a it's a timely book, obviously, about trying to motivate young girls to see themselves in STEM. As a father of three daughters, uh, I call myself a STEMinist, right? So I really <laughs> want my girls to feel motivated and, and have all the same opportunities in STEM as boys do. And the data suggests that that's not the case. Um, and so I wrote a book to try and, you know, make it seem like it is, it's totally possible for any girl to go achieve their STEM dreams, which it is. You know, one thing I really uh, enjoyed about the book is that a lot of the women that you focused on were action scientists. They, mm -hmm. they were not working in a laboratory. I'm thinking, uh, just as an example, Vanessa Galvez and Sonia Lowe, uh, you talked about a group of uh, park rangers doing science out in the world. Was that an intentional uh, decision that you all made? Well, yes, yes, definitely. We were trying to show a broad range of science careers. All of the women, I don't know if you noticed this, but all of the women in the book are minorities as well. And I, I did notice the diversity. Yeah. So we're just trying to, we're trying to expose students to careers they've never heard of. I, I like to say, you can't be what you can't see. And so if students don't know that park ranger is a real life career, or that, you know, weathering technicians like Gene Diggs in the book, who, you know, helps families in uh, remote places become more resilient mm -hmm. for climate change. You know, if you don't know these careers exist, it's hard to pursue them. So the ultimate goal of the book was just exposure. But yeah, I mean, definitely hands-on science. I'm a field geologist in my prior life. Uh, so I have an affinity for being outdoors and doing the work at, outside of the laboratory. Being a uh, social studies teacher in my previous lives, you know, one of the things that I always wanted to do is uh, sort of the same thing, focus on, uh, we now call it action civics, but trying to get out in the world. You know, I kept thinking about most people, I would guess, do not think of a uh, park ranger as doing science, but it, the amount of science that you do, it's not just giving directions uh, in, a, in a national park. Yeah, I mean, in careers like cartographer, I would say many high school excellent top number one in their class females have never even heard of a cartographer. So guess what? There's cool stuff you don't know about. You need to explore more. And that's really the goal, you know, is just to, to start scrap, scraping away at the, um, at the iceberg. So, so young women, but really all students, 
I'll say, I'll say this, Scott, really, truly. The book is written for girls, right? It's all about girls, women in STEM. But how great would it be for boys to read a book about women in STEM? And Absolutely. They did that study in the um, 70s called uh, Draw a Scientist. And 99% of boys and girls drew a man. They've redone it in the 2000s. And 40% of girls drew a female scientist. So the, the, the needles changed. But 98% of boys still draw men. So they don't envision girls in, in STEM. So we all, it's not just about addressing girls in STEM. It's about helping break stereotypes of boys who end up getting into STEM, recognizing that this is a field for all. Right. That is a huge issue. We oftentimes don't think about the other people involved when we look at who are we focusing on and we leave other people out. But, you know, you know, one of the highest in-demand careers is in computer science skills across the board. Those are the jobs that are not getting filled. Females in computer science, women in computer science used to be about, you know, 30 to 40% of the computer science uh, careers in the 70s. And now it's 7%. So something really pugnacious and nasty happened somewhere in the hiring process <laughs> in the in how we communicate computer science to, to ladies. And so what I, what I really believe, and you were talking about this civics, we need to show students how certain careers change the world for better. Girl Scouts wrote a report called Generation STEM. And in it, 92% of girls said they want a career that helps people. And so we need to show in school, it needs to be a focus of educators to express this is how computer science helps people. This is how math helps people. This is how science helps people. Not the scientific concept, this is a math concept. This is how you can use math to change the world and we'll, we'll attract more, more girls to the, to the STEM careers. It's not just about coding. That... No, exactly. It's not. Well, even like when you think about a pandemic, right? All the data that's collected, it's a big data set. There's big data scientists. There's mappers and GIS professionals. There's the there's the epidemiologists and all the different people who are working to solve a pandemic. It's not just health professionals. It's, you know, it's so many more careers involved in right now it's logistics engineers, right? Logistics of course. engineering is its own field. And that's critical to a pandemic. Who would have thunk it? Right. So, right. And that's all about big data. Yeah, exactly. I also wanted to discuss something else not related to your book with you. Yeah, let's change gears. Tell us uh, a little bit about the uh, work that you're doing uh, right now, the Learning Blade, just briefly. And then I want to follow up, have a reason for asking that. And I want to follow up with something else right after that. So sure. Learning Blade is actually similar uh, to the conversation about the book because it's all about STEM career awareness. So what we're doing right now at Learning Blade is providing online STEM career pathway lessons aligned to standards grades five through nine. And so we have, you know, millions of lessons being completed by students around the country, actually around the world. And so what students do is they log in, they read and learn about STEM careers and answer academic questions online, as well as there's offline engagement resources for both teacher and student. So the uh, program is actually free for any student or any school in Tennessee, Arkansas, Alabama, Missouri, and South Carolina. And then we have large pilot pro projects going on in other states as well. But, uh, you know, those states, you can find more just by going to learningblade.com. Of course. And, and we'll put a link on our website for that as well. The, the reason I wanted to ask about uh, your work with Learning Blade, one of the things I keep thinking about is 
and this goes right along with the pandemic, maybe at the end of the year, at the end of the school year, 2020-21 school year, by next school year, the 21-22 school year, we may be, and I'm holding up air quotes, back to normal. But I don't think back to normal is going to be back to the way we were even two years ago. We'll never be the same, really. Never will be the same. There have been policymakers, erroneously, I believe, who have stated that there's a huge advantage with the pandemic and getting learning online and almost that, oh, maybe we can start completely moving schools online and out of school buildings. Now, of course, the problem with that is learning is an interactive process based on a relationship between a student and a teacher. How do you see technology changing the work of teachers and changing education in the future? Well, that's a, that's a really interesting question. I'll, I'll answer that from a couple of different angles. Let me start with my own students, my daughters. Mm-hmm. So they're at home and we chose to just do the virtual school option. Um, it's been a challenge. I think the one skill that gives me the silver lining for their experience, the quality of education is not the same. It's not the same as in-person. You know, they're missing the in- emotional, social um, side of it. But the one silver lining is that they're learning the skill of following a course online, teaching themselves to learn and be able to pass an online exam. Through their online classes, I think they're much more prepared for future where maybe college, university, postgraduate, associate's degrees, where you could get a lot of your credits working right from your home, a cost-saving thing. So I think in terms of leveling the playing field for you know, students in poverty or low incomes, it could be a huge game changer. And that's what they used to say about uh, what was the uh, free online classes that were given by uh, Coursera and, and things. Oh, like yes. MOOCs. And I'm, I'd have yeah, to all, look up. Yeah. MOOCs yeah. And all those. But I, I do think that shift is, is they say it's advanced, on, you know, education, technologically speaking, five to seven years in the year. That's a silver lining. I think it's also changing teaching in a really negative way, I would say perniciously uh, bad, which is that it's taking the joy out of teaching. And so what in that aspect, two things need to happen. One is we've got to really figure out how to make online education fun for elementary, middle school, high school, in case these situations arise again. But two, we're losing teachers. I mean, I, my job is to talk to teachers, Scott. So Mm -hmm. I talk to um, a couple, maybe a thousand teachers in a school year, if not more. So many of them are overwhelmed, undersatisfied, and stressed out. And so that's, you know, but that's partly because some of them are, are multitasking, doing in-class and, and virtual. And, but it's also even the virtual teachers are not, it's just, it's a lot of screen time. How has it changed the, the field? I think it's, it's helping school districts get everyone wired up, right? So that's a real positive, the digital divide. And I'd love to tell you what we did at Learning Blade about that in a second. So that is a huge positive is the billions that have gone into leveling the playing field, providing broadband access to rural communities and low-income communities. So that's a game changer that hopefully just remains. And then I think it's forcing districts to really look at digital technology and make, make better choices. At the beginning of the pandemic, they were making rash and rapid choices. Now they're making more well-educated, more thoughtful choices. And so Hopefully some really great programs like ours and others will rise to the top and be value added. It's tough, man. It's tough out there in learning land. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's kind of what I'm thinking is if I'm a teacher and if I'm a science teacher, 
or maybe I'm not a science teacher. Maybe I'm a middle school specialist, let's say. How can technology help them do better from a content standpoint on a day-to-day basis compared to where it was even five years ago? The way technology is shifting is to totally fully packaged programs that are self-guided, student-directed learning platforms where the teacher truly is a guide on the side. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I don't know that it increases the teacher's content knowledge rather than takes the burden off of them to know everything. In that sense, that sounds like a positive, be a negative, because what it's doing is taking the burden off of quality teaching and putting it on technology companies. So you might, you might have a effect where the quality of teaching actually, you know, the, the slope of the line starts to curve down because people become reliant on too many crutches. That's a very interesting thought and not one I had really considered. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm concerned. I'm just concerned that teachers, that there's always going to be jobs for teachers, right? I mean, it's, it's an in-demand career. There's a lot of openings, a lot of openings, and it's a great profession. You and I both know Absolutely. that. Incredibly rewarding. So gratifying. The pay is raise, rising around the country. The more you make it online, the less the teacher needs to become an expert in classroom you know, pedagogy. That is an interesting thought and a very concerning one. Yeah. I mean, I think there, there's, there will be great technologies. I, I personally, there's another one I really like. There's, you know, adaptive learning, I think mm-hmm. is probably the most, it's the most expensive type of technology. But as it, as it grows in, into the AI future, it knows where the student, each student is individualized. It, you just got that ratio problem wrong. Let me give you three easier ones. Great. You got them right. Let me up it. So it can constantly change the, the throttle and the, and the levers on each student's learning. Adaptive learning has a chance to really take student learning to a whole nother level. So that could be, and I think the billions that have gone into the gear money and the COVID for schools is probably fueling adaptive learning at a pace that is going to benefit student learning as well. So there's, there are pros as well. The, there was something else you wanted to add a minute ago. Well, so, so what we did is we realized there was a digital divide. Yes. The digital divide. Yes. Yeah. We took, and so maybe you want to talk about what the digital divide is for all your learners. Yeah. Briefly, just the digital divide. People have access to, uh, or people do not have access to high-speed internet or problem with speed. Sometimes there are a lot of areas where you have high-speed download, but you don't have high-speed uploads. And so, you know, you can't really video conference if, if I can get 600 megabits down, but only a, a second download, but only three megabits a second and an upload, I can't participate in a video conference. Right. I can get, I can stream, but I can't, can't have a conversation. And not only that, but imagine a family with three students trying to use the internet simultaneously. Mom, mom and women have been adversely affected by COVID relative to men is, is now at home with their children. And so well, mom or dad's at home with their children. So you got, might have two, three, four people using the internet. And then uh, that causes bandwidth issues for sure. Mm-hmm. And then just access to the technology, right? right. So, but what, what we did at Learning Blade was we, we made our, our Learning Blade's an online platform. It's about logging into the website and doing online lessons very early in March. We're like, oh my God, this digital divide is horrible. The equity issue is, is incredible. How do we, what do we do as a company to level the playing field? So what we, what we did was we created an app in the Google Play Store Uh, just for Chromebooks currently, but Chromebook users can download the app and it allows students 
to download the lessons to their Chromebook. They can work on them offline. And as soon as they reconnect to the internet, the teacher gets the data for their performance. And so we went with a decidedly low technology solution, which, which was to make downloadable offline access where it functions and forms just like you're live online. Student doesn't even really know that they're not online, but they do. But then they work in the platform, they have hundreds of hours of learning, and then they can go and use it online. And I actually had a student feedback that said, instead of having to rush on Fridays at school to finish all her work, she now knew that she could go home and do some of her work at home offline. And that made her feel like a normal student. Uh, that's a very clever way to way to approach it because bandwidth that access in many cases, besides uh, there's policy issues as well in many states, uh, particularly uh, around us here in the South. But even without that, the actual physical infrastructure of getting it to homes is as daunting or maybe more daunting than um, rural electrification during, uh, uh, during the Great Depression. Well, exactly. And, and, you know, that's why you hear stories about school bus hotspots driving around mm -hmm. so can be connected and all these different strategies. So we said, let's, what's the easiest strategy? Connect to the hotspot once, have all your resources to use. So that's what we did. And we're excited about it. Actually, today, Scott, I'll send you a link. It was, um, it was national news today our app. So I'll send you a link on that so you can share with your audience. You're amazing. They are amazing. Oh, thank you. Yes. Yes. And oh, I just want to say not because you, it's probably hard to say this yourself, although I'm sure you do, but your audience should share their pie. If they listen to an episode, they like share it. Well, thank you. Yes. Uh, yes. Please do that. Thank you for that. One other thing that just want to ask real quick before we go is have you been reading any good books lately? I have. And it's changed my life. So it's not about education, but yet I think it might be, and, and I might be changing paths, you know, in terms of, I'm going to stay at Learn Blade. I love what I'm doing. But in terms of my emphasis in life, it's called How Not to Die by Dr. Michael Greger. And it's all about how to eat healthy, whole food, plant-based diet. Really, it's, it's 400 pages of scientific studies on the negative consequences of eating meat and dairy and things that have eyes. And so it's the research basis for healthy eating. And since I started it, I've been a vegan. Um, two of my, of my personal health issues have improved tremendously. Actually, that's what my doctor said to me. He said, you know, Josh, I'd like to help you with this situation you're having. I can't, there's no surgery options. There's not this, try being a vegan. In four weeks, it's, it's, it's remedied my situation. And I've actually bought the book for like eight people now. I keep sending it to everyone. I'm glad you asked. And here's, and I would like, in terms of education speak, it made me realize as an award-winning educator, 45 years old, I know nothing about nutrition. I don't even know what a serving size of nuts looks like, right? And my lack of basic, just fundamental addition and subtraction as it relates to nutrition is absolutely missing from all the education that I ever taught in the schools I've been in. So we are not teaching kids the real true story of nutrition. And I think it, it should be in schools. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, we'll definitely pass that along to our listeners and, yeah. and put that on. I'm very interested myself. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of the best reads. I'm just, it's, it's been life-changing for me. And I, I, don't, I won't go into all the details, but who knew eggs were so bad for your health? You know, I thought they were great. I used to eat about 10 of them a week. Good read, uh, How Not to Die by Dr. Greger. And he's got his own website called nutritionfacts.org that has lots of videos on whole plant, whole plant 
fresh food diet. Thank you very much. Uh, once again, congratulations on your own book and uh, look forward to uh, your uh, books in the future as well. Yeah. And if I could have a last word, you know, in terms of you were talking about technology and how it's changing education. And I, I reference how teachers are really stressed out. I think, I think parents, educators, and society need to recognize teachers for what they've been going through. So I appreciate your thoughtful teacher approach. I know you love social, emotional well-being for students, but right now teachers should be of utmost concern as well. So um, thank you, Scott Lee, for Dr. Scott Lee, for the work you do and uh, for having us on the show again. This has been episode number 23. The Thoughtful Teacher Podcast is hosted and produced by R. Scott Lee, who retains copyright. We encourage diverse opinions. However, opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of producer, partners, or underwriters. Guest was not compensated for appearance, nor did guests or guests' organization pay to appear. Transcripts are available following podcast publication at our website, thoughtfulteacherpodcast.com. Sponsorship opportunities or other inquiries may be made on the Contact Us page at our website, thoughtfulteacherpodcast.com. Please follow the Thoughtful Teacher Podcast on Twitter at Dr. R. Scott Lee and on Facebook at facebook.com Thoughtful Teacher Podcast. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.